Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello and welcome to a special Thanksgiving episode of For Fanza, a recommendation podcast from Fansided Entertainment. I'm your host, Shay Corrigan, and today I'm joined by an all-star team of fansiders, Dan Selke, Bryce Owen, Ian Levy, and Cody Schultz. And together, we're going to give you five binge-watch recommendations for the long holiday weekend. Up first, Dan is going to tell us why now is the perfect time to watch The Crown. Hey, everybody. Okay, The Crown a sumptuous British chamber drama soap opera historical epic about the past 50-ish years of the 60, 70, of the British royal family. Okay, this drama, I mean, I got to say, it it is pretty suited for laid-back Thanksgiving post-dinner. You're too full to move but want to sit there and watch them wash over you for a while entertainment. It's great to look at. It's, 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 one of those like kind of slow moving glacial British shows where just really well-dressed people um, talk in very fancy accents with repartee between each other in really well-apportioned rooms. And my, it is kind of like curiously low stakes is something that keeps coming up because like, okay, it's, it's the British Royal family, you know, Queen Elizabeth, Prince Philip of the whole gang, but the British monarchy, like, they don't really have power. So it, it's mostly, like, them having fairly, like, small-scale kind of personal dramas. But because they're royalty and they have so much money and fame, it gets blown up to this, like, bigger extent. But, I mean, it's definitely fun to watch. It's definitely kind of very meticulously written and very kind of grandly, elegantly acted the period details, like if you're into history, the, the period details of like, seeing, you know, Churchill and Thatcher and all of the, you know, and the palaces and the castles, Buckingham Palace are all very well rendered. If you're like into the royals or just like into splendor and elegance in general, it goes down very easy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a good, well done, really expensive soap opera uh, with all like the British manners that you know it's it, it's 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 not going to get like too out there or extreme because it can't because these people at their core are kind of boring. I love that you called it frosty too because I I'm a big Did believer I? in shows and movies being seasonal or like having seasons where they they can have like corresponding moods and like The Crown very much to me like is a winter show where yes. it's, like, it's not it's not so cold that you know, you don't, you wouldn't want to watch it, but like there is an element of like frostiness to it that is, it's the color palette, like a lot of like grays and like greens and like it's, it's, yeah, it's totally that. And I think that makes it like a very good uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving binge watch. Also, cause it's, we've got like four seasons now, right? So you've got oh, yeah. a good chunk of episodes to cruise through. Oh yeah, I mean, and they're all quite long. Like these are like hour long episodes. And yeah, I completely agree with you. It is a cold weather show. It is sitting down with a cup of hot cocoa 
with like the snow flying outside and you're just going to be transported away to this not too distant history of people who can afford a lot more than you and have dramas that are not so removed from what you and I are experiencing. It's like she also has tension with her sister. How fun. <laughs> her sister, How her children. Yeah. I will, I will say, I mean, this, this is more me. Like there is a part of me that watches this show and a part of me wants to scream like, you know what? You could solve all your problems by just getting rid of the monarchy. That would like get so, help everything. But obviously that would, there would be no show then. And it is a, a well done, just cozy, warm blanket of a soap opera. Yeah, they do so much stuff or there's so much drama that just comes out of them being like, well, we can't do that because we're the monarchs. Like, yeah, but like, why not? Right? Like, oh no, how, how, how could you possibly like not, you, you can't say that, you can't possibly marry this person. Like they were divorced before, who cares? It's just like that kind of thing. And it's so, I think it, it, it's, it, it's so low stakes because it's kind of like all they can hold on to. Cause again, there's no power. So they have to like, kind of stake out what power they do have by saying we must be perfect in all areas. Where like the old kings of England, they were decapitating people. They were like marrying eight times. Like they didn't care because no one was going to call them on it. But now in order to hold on to their position, they have to like be pristine, which again is fun to watch. if a little frustrating also sometimes, but at the end of the day, um, very watchable. I mean, I, I did burn through the latest season pretty quick. Yeah, Henry VIII made a whole religion because he wanted a divorce. Yeah. That's power. <laughs> but not now. No, now Queen Elizabeth is just like, no, you can't possibly do this. You can't possibly step outside the norm, even a little bit, honey bit. It's, it's... going to be at a cold stalemate of a marriage for the rest of our lives because, mm-hmm. you know. Which, by the way, is why the forces, I think, is a little more exciting because they do bring people like Princess Diana and Margaret Thatcher who do, like, kind of shake things up in, like, it's, it's sort of the best season because that part of history is just the most interesting for them. I think the others were a little more, I didn't watch the others as quickly. I kind of like went whenever I feel like it, but this one, I was like, Ooh, what happens next? What happens to Diana? She goes, she can do some crazy. Do you, do you find, cause as a fan who's not really followed the show, can you jump in with season four and just dive into, because I think there's a natural curiosity to see how they tackle oh, totally. the Diana era. I mean, I skipped season three because I was getting a little bored with, again, all the pretty rich people just, and just, <laughs> I, 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 I was tired of yelling at them, just like, leave the monarchy. It's clearly annoying. But um, so I skipped it. I, and I went, in, I, I went in with season four because I wanted to see that. And I had no problem at all picking it up. Yeah, I was going to say, when you were talking, I was like, I feel like the third season was like definitely a lull for me where the first seasons I... Mm-hmm. Like my knowledge of like the beginning of Queen Elizabeth's reign is like not, was not great. So like that was mm-hmm. all new. It was like, yes, I could read a Wikipedia page on this, but like <laughs> this is much more enjoyable. Oh yeah. That was good. And then season four is like history that I know and I'm excited exactly. to see how they do it. And season three, like there was a little bit of like some, I was kind of into like the Princess Margaret storylines. I did not care at all about Philip and space. Like that was real boring to me. Like <laughs> there, were, there were moments where I was like, oh, this episode is good. But for the most part, like I, I kind of um, was less into season three as well. So I'm excited to get back into it. I'd be, I think this will probably be a, a big uptick for the show just bec- because of these reasons, because this part of history just is, I think, more interesting on its face and probably something a lot more people are actually familiar with. Cause like, we're getting to the point now where not everybody, but like people are kind of oh, like, oh yeah, I recall people, I learned about Margaret Thatcher in history class or 
I remember seeing Diana on the TV once, something like that. Also, I feel like we need to talk about Gillian Anderson's performance oh, as Margaret so Thatcher because oh. she is giving so much. <laughs> Just doing She's the giving both. the hair, man. Like the <laughs> hair is this sculpted, like four helmets on top of each other um, masterpiece. It's really interesting to watch. And then Diana, I think Emma Corrin, I think is her. Mm-hmm. Very beautiful, very like ethereal. Um, it's also like a really cool insight into like how the British kind of media thinks of itself because mm. it's made by British people. It's like this kind of sacrosanct British history. They love their history over there, especially Kings and Queens. They love Kings and Queens. Um, and just the, the way they frame things and like the, just the detail and the sumptuousness they put into everything. Like you can tell they want it to be like a grand affair. But, and, and, then there are, and, and then there are times that I wish it would go farther. Like Margaret Thatcher is obviously a pretty controversial figure. And they like kind of go in on some of the stuff she did that had bad effects. And then they kind of play kids gloves at other times because it has to be at the end of the day, like a a, a celebration of British history. It can't, it's not really a condemnation, but again, I am, I'm in, I'm interested in it. And I I did burn through it because I was, I was compelled to keep watching. Yeah. I do think it is like a really interesting I feel like the show or the creators like can't decide how hard to be on yeah. the royal family because like there it is it's more critical than probably most of what has been produced about the royals in the past, but also it doesn't go nearly as far as like some people like probably life. want. Like and it tries to ultimately find like a sympathetic tone to them when like in fact like a lot of them did a lot of stuff and yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. Like, I will say, like, Charles comes off as a tool, like a complete and utter toolbox. But um, other times it's kid gloves. Like, Thatcher, I, I, I think they play pretty soft with. Yeah. Just disappointing, because, again, you could have just let Jillian Anderson just, like, truly go wild. <laughs> That's true. Um, all right. did you, oh, I was going to just ask one quick question. What did you think of the royal mouse, Dan? <laughs> I don't know what you mean. What royal mouse? Okay, so it, I don't even know what episode it was, but a mouse runs across the floor at Buckingham Palace in one no. scene. Yes, a mouse. And they think, like, there's a lot of fan theories out there. People are not sure if, like, it was there on purpose, if it just happened, um, and then they just decided to keep it in, or if it's, like, some, like, darker meaning, like, <laughs> the the crown is in, like, shambles, there's mice all over the place, they're living in squalor, like... Exactly. Uh, is this yeah. the most recent season? This is the most recent season. Yeah, I think it's like I episode notice. five, but I'm probably <laughs> wrong. Yeah, it's literally like one second. It just runs across the floor. Cool. I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and guess it was a mistake. Um, I don't know though. Um, okay, I, I'm not really sure this show is the kind of show that's gonna have a deeper, <laughs> super long term conspiracy plan. But if that floats your boat. Right. Like, if you want it to be an important mouse, it can be an important mouse. Exactly, yeah. Right. It is very symbolic. The mouse means whatever you want it to be. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I have a solid watch. And again, it is pretty perfectly suited for, like you said, um, this time of year and this holiday. Yeah. Good post-meal thing. It's like you've got, most people, I think, have like four holidays, four days of holiday with Thanksgiving, right? you got Thursday, oh, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. One season per day. One Perfect. season per day. Perfect. Uh, and again, if you don't want to watch the first three, and I wouldn't blame you, skip right to Thatcher and Diana. Because that, I mean, let, let, let's be honest. I think it's going to draw a lot of people. 
<laughs> All right, perfect. Well, thank you, Dan, for pitching us on the crown. I give it a hard cosign as well. That's our first recommendation for the long Thanksgiving weekend is the crown on Netflix. All right. Now, keeping our focus uh, in England as our setting, we've got Ian talking about Ted Lasso. Yeah, so Ted Lasso is a very uh, different kind of show from The Crown, and it's probably a very different uh, binging experience, too. There's just one season. It's still relatively new. It's 10 episodes, half hour each, so they go really fast. Uh, Definitely something you can uh, fit into a weekend, but uh, my wife and I watched the last episode of the first season and then immediately the same night went back and rewatched the first episode and started it again. It was that good. Um, so it's a, a, a premise that might not appeal to everyone. It's an American football coach uh, for reasons that I won't spoil ends up in England coaching sort of a, an average premier league team that's uh, in chaos. Um, and it's just, it is an absolutely delightful show. You, you, um, you just every episode you leave sort of feeling better, happy, just just sort of blissfully floating on a cloud. Um, Jason Sudeikis stars from Saturday Night Live, uh, and I don't know most of the other actors and actresses. I'm uh, sure there uh, have been in other things, but most of them were new to me. But every performance uh, from top to bottom is just spot on. Every character is really interesting and well developed. They're all funny. They all have sort of their own little moments in the show. It strikes me a lot as The Office, but kind of inverted, whereas in The Office, you sort of have Michael as this chaos that you sort of have to begrudgingly accept uh, in the middle. He's kind of an unlikable guy at, um, you know, at at surface level. Instead, you have Ted Ted Lasso in the middle, who's just uh, a beautiful human being. You love everything about him. He's so delightful. And the chaos kind of swirls around him. Um, but it doesn't feel contrived. It doesn't feel overly sweet. Um, you know, bad things happen. They get resolved. But it, you know, it, it feels good and not uh, not fake or saccharine. It's just, it's a really fun, delightful, easy, quick show. And um, because you can binge it so quickly, uh, you can fit the whole thing in on um uh, Apple Plus's seven-day free trial. Just a little pro tip there. <laughs> that I will say that is the biggest sort of response I've gotten from friends when I've recommended it. It's been like, oh, it's on Apple TV Plus. Like, I don't have that yet. And I was like, all right, fine. But now the excuse is gone because it's, you know, it, the full season is out. So you can definitely uh, do the trial and get it all done. Um, but yeah, like I, I totally agree with you. And I I want to talk a little bit more about the premise because it's so, it sounds so bad on paper. Like not only does it sound just like, Oh, like this is like, I don't know, like, Oh, like the, how the, the humor, the joke is like, so I don't know. It seems like it's going to be bad. Additionally, it's based on an ad campaign that ran on, I think ESPN or wherever they were running ads for the premier league that was bad. Like I stand by the fact those ads are bad. Like if you watch those ads and we're like, okay, they're going to string this together into a series. Like that sounds terrible. I even think the trailers for Ted Lasso were like not great. And I was like, this is, this is not going to be good. And then enough like critics that I sort of respect and follow were just like gushing about like how good and wholesome it was. I was like, fine, I will give it a shot. And it took like one episode and I was like, nope, I'm all in. I like I love this. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that's really nice about it is like they introduced that premise in the first episode and then they just kind of move on from it. And it is, you know, it, it is absurd and sort of ridiculous. And if you focused on it too much, 
it could be distracting and it could, you know, push you away from the show, but they just kind of, they're like, here it is. And then they just get into the show. And, and from there, as the, as the plot points, you know, unfurl, um, you, you're not, you don't find yourself sort of hanging on that weird narrative point. Like this would never happen. Um, I, I can't think of what this show is, but I remember uh, on the watch, Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan talking about some show where they had a British detective who was played by an American actor and he did not have a British accent. You know, the, the character was supposed to be British, but he was an American actor. So he, you know, spoke American English. Um, and they were talking about how in the first episode, somebody just said like, Oh, you're British. How come you don't have an accent? He was like, Oh, I went to board boarding school in the United States. And that was it. Like they just came up with this one little thing and they just moved on and, you know, and they didn't have to, to build up this elaborate thing or sort of like leave this, you know, bit of unreality hanging out there. And so I feel like Ted Lasso does that too. It, it moves away from that premise uh, or it, it moves away from the unreality of it really quickly. And eventually you just kind of forget about it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's got, it's really well balanced where there's like the right amount of humor related to the fact that he was like a u.s football coach and he doesn't know anything about yeah. uh soccer where it's like there's it's it they don't like he's like they don't like totally forget about it. like it, it comes up but it's never it's like an organic part of the story where it's like i don't know it's it, it's resolved nicely and like the amount of humor like the number of times they go to that well of jokes is mm-hmm. enough for them to still be funny but not sort of run out. We're like, oh my God, we're doing this again. And like the same with like the fish out of water, like like he hates tea. And like the number of times they make jokes about him hating tea is also kind of, at least for me, it was like the right level of like, these are actual like funny cultural difference things without sort of having your entire show be based around him not knowing soccer and him, you know, being an American in England. Like it, it was very, I don't know, I was very appreciative of all that. Because I think yeah. ultimately, too, like, it's, like you said, like, it moves past that premise so quickly. And they're like, it's about a coach and his team and all those other supporting characters from, like, the players to his assistant coach to the woman that owns the team. Like, they all get their own storylines. So it very, like, it's, I mean, it's still called Ted Lasso, but it's, like, about all of them. And, like, I think a lot of my favorite shows, at least, are the best shows are the ones that turn from being like about one person to being ensembles. And I would say Ted Lasso definitely does that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the supporting cast is great and they definitely, um, they get their chance to develop and have their moments. You know, nobody is, um, nobody's sort of like a flat cardboard cutout. There's nobody who just kind of hangs on a single joke and, and just kind of plays that, you know, it beats that same drum over and over again in every episode, everybody gets a chance to sort of uh, be a couple different things. And, and I think too, the, to the plotting, like there are a couple points uh, like specific points that as I was watching, I was like, you, you could see the directions uh, available. There's very obviously two clear paths and, and you can see the one path that makes it a less likable or a less interesting show, but it's sort of more obvious and easier, you know, um, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a, a point in the, in the second episode where the, the coach is with a female character and they're sort of having a little moment and, and the setup definitely feels like, Oh, there's, there's a budding romance here. And, and you can see how that, on again, off again thing could power a show like this. You know, it's a very sort of familiar trope and, 
you know, the next episode, they just sort of veer sharply away from that. And, the, you know, that female character becomes much more interesting and has a much more interesting storyline that she goes down. And I think, you know, Ted Lasso's character is much more interesting uh, for the same reason. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of those points where uh, where it surprises you, where it's not sort of the obvious sitcom, where it doesn't hit the same beats as, you know, Parks and Rec or, or Brooklyn Nine-Nine or The Office. Yeah, and I, I think that's very much it, where it's like, it's, it's familiar enough to sort of be comforting. The stakes are relatively low. There's kind of a, at least for me, a feeling that like, the episodes were going to end all right, like, because Ted Lasso's whole thing is like, it doesn't matter if you like win or lose the match. Like, so in the end, like, it doesn't matter to you whether they win or lose, like you want them to win. But it's like, there's a sense that like things are going to be okay in that world. That's like very comforting. Well, at the same time, it's not so sort of prescriptive to the sitcoms we've seen before that, um, you know, it's, it's boring or unoriginal. And there's just enough of that sports layer there too. Like, um, you know, the, the, the bad news bears or the Rudy or the, um, you know, miracle, uh, mighty ducks, you know, where you sort of have these, these hapless, you know, losers who are trying to pull it together and, um, you know, it, it fits stereotypes in some ways and breaks them in some others. Um, and, uh, but it, it's, it's really satisfying the way they handle that. But for people who like that kind of thing, you get that, you know, sort of the training sequences and the, you know, the, the rooting for the, the big sports moments, like that's definitely embedded in it. And it just took a really nice, I feel like I, someone's gonna have to cut me off because I could talk about Ted Lasso all day. Um, but I, it's got a really nice sort of, I guess like love letter to like being a sports fan too, because so much like there's an episode that they deal with like the athlete superstitions. There's a whole part about like the whole town is like they're huge fans and like there's like a local pub and like they're always they have strong feel like they come to love Ted Lasso too, but they also just like want they hate him originally because like he can't he doesn't know the sport. How is he gonna win games? Like it's it's just yeah, there's a very it's a kind of like an idealized world of being like a sports fan. I don't know. There's it's very wholesome and pure and like perfect for the spirit of Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. And I will say just one more thing to the wholesome and pure uh, point, it, the, 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 the resolutions and sort of the, the general atmosphere is wholesome and pure. Um, but you also get a, a slightly more adult layer of jokes and, oh, yeah. and language in it, you know, um, than you would get, you know, on a, on a network drama on NBC or something like that. Um, and, uh, so there are some parts that have a nice little edge and, you know, make it a little more fun. Yeah. It's probably not for kids, at least. <laughs> Content, maybe they could, it would go over the kids' heads, but language would not. So yeah. For all our talk of like Pearson and Hull, but like Pearson and Hull, but for adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to jump in because I'm curious. I know like as a fan, a lot of times when I'm looking for a new show, I like, think, what is it like? Like, is this something that's going to become more like the good place or the office? Is there a certain like John, like comedy you kind of compare it to and say, like, if you're a fan of this, you really love this show. It, for me, it feels like something of that Michael Shore universe. You know, it feels like uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine or The Office or, or Parks and Rec. It feels like it, it um, you know, maybe not exactly, but, but shares a lot of DNA with those shows. Um, yeah. And again, you know, it's, it's quick, it's snackable. It has like, it has one liners that you'll, you know, you crack to your friends and, and stuff you can quote and carry. Um, 
have not seen a lot of, of GIF action from the show on Twitter, but maybe I'm just not following the right feeds. I'm sure there's some, some uh, iconic visuals from the show that, that would work for that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of quick. It's easy. It doesn't feel like a huge investment, but you get a lot of return. And um, I think if I've heard right, uh, they're maybe starting production on a second season and they've already been renewed for a third. My guess is they'd be the, the 10 episode format as well. So there's more coming, but again, it's like, a, a low investment and, and a lot of return. Yeah. And I think to add to what Ian said, part of what makes it so part of the reason it's charmed so many people is because there isn't really anything else like it right now where it's, it's, it's got some of that, you know, believing in the best in people that characterizes Mike sure shows, but it's not really structured like a Mike sure show. It's not as big of an ensemble. It's not a workplace comedy or anything like that. So it's, it's that sort of tone is there, but it comes across very differently. Um, and it is, like we said, like very, like fairly like adult humor. It's definitely rooted in the sports world. Like there's so much about it that's kind of just, and it mostly comes down to like, it very much shouldn't work. Like a Mike Sure show on paper sounds like it should work most of the time. This doesn't, and yet it does. Um, so it's, that's, yes. I'm going to, I'm going to have to call time on us now, but. It's our second recommendation. Definitely get the Apple free trial. There's other shows on Apple too. So maybe you will uh, stick around and then forget to cancel. But at bare minimum, you could definitely knock out Ted Lasso in seven days. All right. And then I'm going to keep us moving. And now it's my turn to pitch my turn to pitch you all on a show. We're going back to Netflix. Talk about The Queen's Gambit. Came out a couple weeks ago. It is a um, limited series, I believe. I don't think it's intended to be longer than that. Um, it is the Netflix chess show, also known as the Chess and Drug Show, also known as Anya Taylor-Joy's Emmy Royal, and also the period drama that made people confront the passage of time and wonder if they were sexually attracted to the little boy from Love Actually, who is now very grown up and confusing a lot of people. The Queen's Gambit. Uh, it's the story of Beth Harmon, who is a chess prodigy and an orphan. It follows her all the way from her youth in the orphanage, where she learns to play chess from a janitor into like this Cold War showdown with this like Russian master of chess and her nemesis, who they've played like many times before and she's never beaten him. Um, and covering just like everything in between. She's got romances, there's an addiction plot, uh, there's some mom, dad drama there too. Uh, narratively, you can kind of see the beats coming. It's not the most, it's not really breaking the mold if you've seen any kind of show about um, a troubled genius before. Um, and it's a little bit like fantastical in how the story and the conflict is resolved. Like things happen very quickly and they're tied up rather neatly. But much like Dan was saying with The Crown, like it kind of doesn't matter. Like it's really fun to watch. It's like the chess matches, speaking of the Ted Lasso in sports, like shockingly thrilling to watch like you can get really like sucked in and like just the way they're shot is very dramatic and i saw some tweets from chess players saying that the chess was not shot well that like it's actually made it look less dramatic than it is and i was like i maybe i should be watching actual chess if this version is like the bad like the unthrilling version um and like also inspirational uh, apparently like apps for playing chess on your phone, like downloads, like skyrocketed after this came out. I didn't do that, but I did open like in my browser and I was like, I should learn to play chess. 
I didn't even make it through one match before. I was like, actually, I, I'm not that, I'm not that invested. The, the gap for me there is too big, but the show is awesome. It's like got all your period piece staples, the clothes, hair, decor is all like gorgeous. And again, to fall back, I was not noticing the crown parallels until now, but it's, it's also sumptuous and there's like lush and like the hotel rooms and the clothes. It's just, it's very indulgent, which is in keeping with the Thanksgiving weekend meal theme. Uh, so that's going to be my tie in there. And it's one series. So you can fit it in between Ted Lasso. And when you, when you start the crown and then when you skip a season of the crown, you can just like sub in a season of the queen's gambit instead. Um, so that's my pitch on that. <laughs> Do you feel like, did you know how to play chess before watching this? And if not, did you get confused at all? <laughs> like I, I've, I've played chess before. My mom taught me to play chess, uh, which is a point she reminded me of when I was telling her about the show. So like, I know what like the pieces do. I don't know any of like the strategy there. So like in terms of when they started dropping like names of famous chess players or like moves or things like that, that was all new to me. And it's, it's easy enough to follow. Like I, it's, it's not, maybe there are like further layers there. Or maybe like, if you know chess really well, you can see her move coming when she sees her move coming or whatever. Um, but no, it's, it's, if you don't know anything about chess beyond the fact that like you move pieces and you, you know, when she learns through the course of that, like, even the basic stuff's about like, oh yeah, you like call checkmate or whatever it is. Um, they explain it enough that you get it easy enough to follow the plot of the show. Yeah, totally. Um, I also did like, this is maybe something that people didn't catch. I like Harry Potter, the Harry Potter movies. And I didn't realize that Dudley was in yes. this show until I looked at the cast list afterward. What a transformation I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. the movie's big on child stars transformed. Just like, oh, yes. all these people are grown up because it's been a full decade since we last saw them <laughs> or last checked in. Yeah, it is. It is also funny to not funny. Funny is not the right word, but like the whole chess subculture world of just um, I don't know. Like they're I'm not gonna go so far as to say they're athletes. But like when you think of like the different sort of sports that people compete in that have like tournaments and rankings and, you know, whatever else, like the chess world is intense as it turns out. And I had no idea. Yeah, same. I also did not know what the Queen's Gambit was for before I started watching the show. I saw the trailers. All I heard was just like drugs and chess. I thought this was like about the royal family again, because that's <laughs> like very like on brand for Netflix. Be like, oh, we have the crown. Oh, and the next thing you should watch is the Queen's Gambit. But yeah, again, just chess, no, no royals. So yeah. I guess positives I there. And I, I remember hearing about it and being like vaguely, oh, it's a period drama, something, something, and had no intention of watching it. I was like, this seems fine. And then did and was like told like, oh no, this is, this is the one that's like a miraculously thrilling action sequence. <laughs> yeah. Did you like that it was only like seven episodes, I think? I did. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of a, of a concise concise series also because it didn't seem really like they had 
that much more story to go with. Like it would have either been like, all right, you got to make this much longer and about other people or keep it short and keep it focused on her. And I kind of liked that. Yeah. I think in the past, like a lot of Netflix shows, they've been like, Oh, this is 10 episodes or this is 13. Like they would always do like one or the other. And like, this is definitely like, let's do six or seven. Like it's so much better than like stretching the story out for like another six episodes or whatever. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, I want to keep us moving, get in fast and say, definitely watch the Queen's Gambit. Um, just because, again, like, it's the same reasons we described uh, The Crown being good. It's just real nice, like, wintry comfort television, visually, I guess, indulgent television. Um, but now I want to go in a little bit of a different direction. Cody, you're going to talk to us about Grey's Anatomy, and then, Bryce, you're going to talk to us about The Office. So we're going from these, like, fresh new shows, comfort in their own right, uh, or comfort in, I guess, their settings and stories and characters to shows that are like classic comfort food in the sense that like we've all seen most of these a million times. That said, and Cody, I'm going to pass to you in 15 seconds. Grey's Anatomy has been like a real big quarantine discovery show for a lot of people this year, which I think was also an unexpected trend for me to pick up on. Uh, But all that said, tell us about Grey's Anatomy. So I think it's easy to hear Grey's Anatomy in 2020 be like, oh, a medical show? Like, is it really something I want to dive into? But it's really always been one of those shows that's so much more than just its logline. It's so much more than a medical show and like the cases of the week where you're just tuning in to see, okay, here's patient XYZ. This one has, you know, a broken leg, whatnot, and you move on and completely forget about them. What makes Grey so special is that it really has this balance of telling those compelling medical stories that draw people in. But then there's those equally compelling character-driven stories where you're hearing about their personal lives. There's the romance and all that that, you know, sprung the McDreamies and McSteamies of the world. And it's just this all-encompassing show where kind of combines all of these different elements, which makes it easy for people to find it and be like, oh, I like this kind of genre show. It's a medical show, but there's subtext of drama and there's subtext of suspense of what's going to happen next. Is this person going to make it? Will they get the big medical breakthrough? And it's one of those shows that you really never know what to expect as you watch it. It's you go in you're like, Oh, okay. I know like this is where they're going with it. And then like this completely random curveball comes in and it just kind of leaves you hungry for more. So it's kind of like that going back for seconds on Thanksgiving, like you want to know what's next. So you just keep watching and like what turned into, I'll just watch it. You know, one episode is suddenly turned into this whole day of binging the half Grey's Anatomy. And it really is one of those perfect shows for, you know, people who like current medical shows like Chicago Med, New Amsterdam, even the classics like ER, but it's also good for anyone really who likes the romance, drama, suspense. And it's one of those shows that Netflix has kind of given second life to um, because there are these younger generation that are suddenly discovering it on Netflix. And it's like, they're binging through the series in like record time. And then they're caught up and suddenly they're watching with all these old time fans who have been watching, you know, since it debuted in what, 2005 or something like that. Um, the only thing I always warn people getting ready to go in is just beware because it's one of those shows where you never know what's going to happen. And Shonda Rhimes loves to throw curveballs at you. And so it's one of those where you have to be prepared and like a show that's going to keep you on your toes. Yeah. I also, I will say for all the people discovering it on Netflix, I remember watching, I watched the first two seasons, I think. 
in real time or close to real time. Um, and watching the, and then I watched like the first five episodes of the first season again in March because that was the path I was on in the early days of quarantine. Um, and I forgot how like, it's such a time capsule of that time. Like the music, I don't, I can't speak to the soundtrack anymore, but at the time, like it was like, it was on like OC levels of like really good specific like music choices. The original cast was just like, I mean, in addition to um, Pompeo and Patrick Dempsey, you had uh, Sandra Oh, you had Katherine Heigl, you had um, other people, but like, um, they were all just so, like, and they were so young too. And it's, it's, it was very fun to like return to that sort of time and place. Um, and I, I did not, I have not, they're on season 17 now. I was not one of the ones that stuck with it um, to get all the way back up to the present day. But it's, I think there's something very cool. And, and we um, were just talking about Supernatural. There's something very cool about the shows that have been on so long whether through their like fashion choices or music choices or who like the it guest stars are are like real reflections of you know the past almost two decades yeah it really is i mean there's so many songs you can think of like chasing cars comes right to mind has been like a gray's anthem it's like that was the scene you know i won't spoil it but like they played it during a certain character's final scene or well technically final scene now that they're back um but it is, it's one of those things. And there's so many guest stars, like you can go back and watch and it's like, oh, I forgot, like Mandy Moore was on for a guest in, or, you know, Christina Ritchie was on like that iconic Kyle Chandler. Like there's so many guest stars from shows that you love, both of like the current time, but also that have come back and are in, you know, these popular shows now. And it's like, you rediscover them. Like, I had no idea Millie Bobby Brown apparently guest starred somewhere in the season. I'm like, now I want to go back and find her episode. It's like, there's constantly these people because they've always kind of found a way to stay relevant, even with kind of staying to the times that it's not one of those shows where you like watch it back and it's like really cheesy or kind of cringy. Like it still holds up all these years later. And so you get these people going back to the very first season, even though it's been over a decade and they're sticking around and they're catching up and watching it. And I think it's a testament to the characters and the writers and that, that they've just found a way to keep fans entertained and coming back for more. So I guess the big question then for me is, A, is it still good? Like is in the present day and all, and are there any sort of like lulls or low periods that like fans should brace themselves for where it's like, you just gotta make it through season six and then it's back on the up and up or like, like are, what is, what, what can fans expect from the experience of watching? I mean, I don't think time would physically allow you to watch all 17 seasons over Thanksgiving, but on this journey that you're starting over Thanksgiving weekend, what can fans expect from the Grey's journey, the Grey's binge journey? Um, plenty of tears is probably the biggest thing you can expect <laughs> if you stick around from the beginning, because there's a lot of, a lot of characters come and go. I'll leave it at that. I won't say how people go. Uh, but it's one that definitely likes to pull on people's heartstrings and kind of gets you really attached to a character and then find unique storylines that you didn't necessarily see coming. Um, I think what they've always done best, like this year in particular, you're going in and you've got the pandemic, you know that they're going to work that into the storyline. And it's like, it's everywhere. It's on the news. You kind of want TV to be that escape. And so even going into the season, like, how are they going to tackle this? I saw Chicago Med. I wasn't a fan of how they did it. 
And I'm like, we need some some lightness there. I did a great job of having the drama, but there's also those comedy moments and it just kind of like make you laugh, break the thing. And I think that's what there's been throughout the, the run. There's been seasons that haven't been the best. Um, and it's always one of those funny things. You can ask a Grey's Anatomy fan what their least favorite season in, and it always tends to be like connected to their favorite characters. If they really love a character, like then season seven was the best or season eight because that character had a big episode or, you know, big character arc. And then there's the seasons that they didn't really use them. It's like, oh, I hate it this season because they just put that character to shame. And so it's very character driven. You kind of see all these fans kind of get attached to certain characters. I think the biggest hit they took was when Sandra Oh stepped away because Christina Yang was just one of those characters that I don't know that we'll ever see someone like her on screen again. And they've done a creative way of kind of keeping her character alive and present in the current storylines, even without her being on the show and making cameos. But I feel like those seasons, I can't remember what season exactly it was that she left. I want to say it was season around season nine or 10. I think it was like their transition season. Like how do we get over losing this big cast member? And then they kind of had a domino effect where they lost the big cast member for like three seasons back to back. I think she was the first. So like those years, it was kind of like the rough patch of everyone's kind of leaving, wondering, is it going to, you know, how close to the end are we? And then here we are, season 17, they're still like going strong. They righted the ship and they're on their way again. I, I, I'm so tempted, but I'm also like so intimidated by the, the time involved. But I also know that like if I, if I make it that show that I just like put on anytime I'm like, pleading or working or like whatever it is like I, I can cruise through this so thanks this might be the push that I need um or I'll just like take two weeks off in December and just do nothing but watch Grey's Anatomy that could be in my future too who knows <laughs> I feel like the perfect like with Thanksgiving because it's such a long the first season was I think only like 10 episodes it was very short because it was one of those mid-season shows that ABC didn't really want to bet big on and of course it turned into so it's kind of one of those perfect starter seasons for Thanksgiving just watch the first season. If you're a fan, you're going to be drawn in from the beginning. But if you're not like cooked by episode one or two, you, it's probably safe to say you won't be pulled in because that first season did such a good job at pulling people in that if you get through that first season Thanksgiving, then like just add Grey's Anatomy to your holiday playlist for the rest of December. That's fair. And that's that's something I also miss from the early days of like not having to wait for a show. It's it's nice when a show tells you who it is immediately from the first couple episodes. And on that note, uh, you've got our fourth recommendation there, Grey's Anatomy. For a second there, I lost the ability to count because uh, science and numbers were not my forte and that is why I'm not, that's why I'm a writer and not in any other medical profession. Um, Bryce, you're gonna wrap us up with our fifth recommendation here. For The Office. Yeah, let's talk about The Office. So I think, well, if, if you don't know what The Office is, it's a show about um, Dunder Mifflin, <laughs> a, a regional paper company company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. It sounds boring, but it is not. Um, so the series is based on a UK series of the same name. By It was created by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, I think. Um, and basically... Uh, the reason why you should watch The Office over Thanksgiving is because it's leaving Netflix at the end of December, unconfirmed. We don't know exactly when day it'll leave, but it's leaving soon. Um, and moving to Peacock, a streaming service that I don't think anyone has subscribed to yet. Maybe, I don't know. I haven't. Uh, and so 
that's going to be their crown jewel. So if you haven't seen um, The Office yet on Netflix, you've got to start soon because there's nine seasons in like 180 episodes, probably a little more than that, maybe like 200. Um, but yeah, so I think if you haven't seen it, you got to go for it now um, and get that binge watch on. Um, you can even skip the last two seasons if you, I don't know, get close to the end. I don't want to spoil why, but like at this point, are there any spoilers for The Office? The show's been out for like, I don't know. When did it premiere? Like 2008. So yeah, there we are. But also that's comforting where it's like, I think of it not as like, you can skip the last two, but if you don't make it to the last two before it leaves, it's okay. You could. Yeah, exactly. You will not miss, but like three things, three important (laughs) things in the last two seasons. That's it. Uh, No. And I think, I think the show is probably the best show of like the 2000s. I think that, I don't know, some people would say, or the best comedy, I guess. We can argue about whether it's the best show. Um, but like Friends was like ended in like early 2000s. So maybe 2010s, we'll call it the best the best comedy. Um, I, it's, it's my favorite show. So yeah. <laughs> what do you think... I'm trying to, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I feel like there's no, there's, there are definitely people that haven't seen The Office. One yes. of them is sitting with us. Um, <laughs> I guess, okay, so I'm just going to go immediately over to Cody then. Cody, what, what do you want to know about The Office since you haven't, since you have somehow managed not to see it and not to see it or like, I, yeah, we're going to have to have our, uh, wonderful editors that help me with my rambling that I'm doing right now. But yeah, ask Bryce some questions because you have not seen The Office. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's definitely one of my like glaring omissions. Like everyone's like, how have you not seen The Office? So to someone who hasn't seen The Office, such as myself, like what is, what comedies and like, if I'm a fan of a certain show, like, what would you say? Like, it's got this, you know, is it character focus? Is it one of those kind of like, one off like each episode self-contained or do they have overarching storylines yeah so i think like they do have like a you know it's not like totally it, it's serial like you're gonna have stories that run throughout the seasons um there are like one-off episodes that are like just fantastic usually when they do a one-off episode it's like very good um i think most people watch the office and feel like if you start watching it, you feel really uncomfortable because it's not really like many shows. It's very, it's like a mockumentary. um, So it feels like a documentary. Um, And it's like, there isn't a lot of like music or it's just like literally the sounds of the office. So like the phone ringing, the fax machine, the printer, like stuff like that. And it just feels different, Um, especially at first. The first season is a little bit rough. They didn't really have their footing So I think people would watch the first season and go like, "Ah, I don't know about this. There's like nothing redeemable about any of the characters. And then after the first season, the writers kind of pivoted and got into like a really like awesome, like comfort zone where the characters started to become likable. They started to like um, get deeper into the relationships between the characters in the show. There's a lot of like romance and office romance and like, um, I don't even know, like, I want to say intrigue because that's what Michael says <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but like it, you get into like a good, they got into a really good rhythm for like four seasons where the episodes are building 
And it's just really funny. I think that if you like that, like awkward style of comedy where it's not like, they're not like hitting you over the head with jokes. If you're like sort of paying attention to like the wordplay and like all of the stupid things that Michael says and does, I think that that's probably why most people would watch the show. I would add though, even if you don't like, if it comes on too strong in the first season, it might be worth like sticking it out for when it hits that stride that Bryce was talking about, because like, I am not a huge fan of that kind of humor. And so initially I was kind of like, like, I mean, I like this, but like, and I kept watching because Netflix autoplay. And then once it sort of gets in and like the characters like have more, like they get sort of more developed and the jokes get clever. And like, like where I said, like it really does hit like this rhythm of like, just like legendary episode after legendary episode. And I was like, okay, now, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like- going to mention that because so many shows, I feel like, you you look for like the pilot and then the first season and it's like if it doesn't catch you then like so many it's easy just to ditch a show like i'm guilty of that if there's so many shows on then it's like if show doesn't catch you right away there's like that urge to like okay it's not going to hold my interest beyond this and so it's kind of interesting hearing that it's really season two that the show hits its stride because normally it's like that first season so crucial but it really sounds like season two is the season that's going to hook you Yeah. And I think that like most, and this has been like written about and talked about a ton, but like, I think the most, um, the reason why is like Michael is a very unlikable character and he's quite mean to the people in the office, which was like very much what they went for in the UK version. And so when Michael starts to like soften up a bit and you can see that like, no, he's not like mean out of a place of like malice necessarily of like hurting people's feelings. He's just like, lonely and feels bad and is trying to like make these like very human connections through comedy and like trying to connect to them but like it usually goes the opposite until like way way later in the series and i think too you get to see the first season not that it's trying too hard to be the british one but like the pilot i'm pretty sure is almost beat for beat like a remake and it does kind of have like it is a little bit more tied to the story and the identity of the original. And as it goes on, the uh, the office writer's room and like, I mean, the two big names that I always think of there are um, Mike Schur and Mindy Kaler, who both went on to like create their own amazing comedy shows. That, and it's like, you sort of see their voices as well as like the other writers' voices come out more. So it's like once, once it became more of their own show, I think it did a better job of balancing like, the cringe, the cringe Michael Scott trademark humor. And also like a Steve Carell sort of like leaned into the role and like really sort of made it, I think once everyone got sort of comfortable with the show as their own, it, it really stepped up. Yeah, it like created this like weird, not, not like, uh, it's not necessarily like a coaching tree. It's like all these, spin like they tried to do parks and rec is like it was meant to be like a spin-off of the office they like went away from that and did something like much more like i don't know exactly how to describe it. it's like more like lively like the office seems very dead where like pawnee and like leslie nope is like very like bubbly and like happy most of the time um where that is not the vibe of scranton uh dunder mifflin is very different <laughs> yes very yeah i feel like for people who 
like aren't able to binge on Thanksgiving, what are like the episodes you would most recommend? Like these are perfect for like the holiday, you know, just if you need a couple episodes after the crazy Thanksgiving holiday, like these are the episodes you watch. Well, it's, yeah, it's tough because like, if you don't like get it before, like if you don't know who Michael Scott is and you just watch one of the episodes of like him being at, like at his best, I don't know if it would like hit as hard as it does for like, people who were tuning in week after week or like start at the very beginning. But like, I would say, so the first episode of season two is the Dundies and that's kind of where the season or the series starts to shift and you kind of get to know every character um, in that moment. So the Dundies is like the award show for the office and Michael gives out awards to all of the characters based on like the traits that they have and it gets like very personal and like goes way too far lines are crossed at um, a Chili's I believe um and so then after that like the injury is like very famous where Michael wakes up in the morning um to the smell of co- or he likes to wake up to the in the morning to the smell of cooking bacon and he puts a George Foreman by the side of his bed and then accidentally steps on the grill and it like clamps down on his foot um that one's really good uh, the dinner party is like iconic. Um, Michael and his girlfriend at the time, Jan, invite people over for dinner and it gets real weird real quick. Uh, and then I'm just trying to think there's like the, there's so many like uh, memes and like like gifts from the office that like everyone has seen if you're on social media ever. Like the one um, where Dwight starts a fire and locks all the doors and so they don't know how to like get out of the office is like Michael's yelling, like everybody stay calm and like running around the office. That's like probably one of the scenes that the show's like most known for. I think that's stress relief. And I think it's like the first episode of season four. Um, So yeah, those are the ones that I would watch. I watch those ones all the time. They also have really good Christmas and holiday episodes. Uh, So if you're like in the mood for some Christmas, I would go with those. Yeah, it really is one of those memes, but like I feel like guilty almost. Like I use the office memes all the time without having <laughs> seen the show just because the context applies to so many situations. Yeah, and Michael has like very, very good like memeable reactions to, or like the gym face is like very popular for him just like looking at the camera, like connecting with the audience that way. Like, cause we all are feeling that during the show. If we're not laughing, like inside we feel his pain. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's totally true. And I think it's weird. So the show ended in like, I think 2013, um, somewhere in there, but I think it's weird how it's like got like a second life on Netflix. Um, kind of like you were mentioning with Grey's Anatomy. And I think that's just because like, it's literally the most popular show on Netflix. It's always on like the Nielsen streaming, uh, ratings and stuff. And I, I don't really know why that is. If like people are just like, like just watching it while they're doing anything and everything. It just doesn't really make sense to keep watching it that many times. I mean, I do cause I'm like a super fan, but like we're not all super fans, I don't think. So it's just kind of weird how that continues to be the case. Yeah, I have friends that will like watch The Office before they go to bed. Like it's like their like routine, they have it on yeah. constantly. And it's, it's, I think as well, like there's, there are shows that people talk about being like, like these are like, you know, the must watch shows, like the shows that you like need to, and like, you always hear things where it's like Mad Men or like Game of Thrones. It's like, The Office is one of those shows, but it's so much easier to accomplish, like, (laughs) than watching like 
all of Mad Men, where it's like, not only is that like serious drama and an hour long, like it's just like, that's like a big undertaking. Like The Office is a show, it seems like everyone should watch just for a sense of like providing context to like the memes and the quotes. And like, it's one that I would imagine you watch and you're like, oh, that's where that came from. Like that thing, like my friend says all the time or that thing that I just thought was like an expression, like it actually comes from the office and it's as those kind of like i guess cultural assignments go it's like a lot of fun <laughs> yeah and like it's 20 minutes it's like you know uh network comedy so we're 20 minutes in and out for each episode like you can forget that you're watching the show and then it's like three episodes in and you're like i wish i would have paid more attention but here we go we're just gonna keep going uh so I think that that's probably one of the things it's like very comforting too when you like watch like you know what to expect you know what you're gonna get it's not like Game of Thrones or Mad Men where we're like killing off characters or like very serious serious drama like it's very very the drama that happens is like the best kind of drama I guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's all Michael Scott related too or most of it is at least (laughs) all right on that note that wraps up our five recommendations for Thanksgiving weekend. We've got The Crown, which is prestige soap, four seasons on Netflix. We've got Ted Lasso, which is the purest, most heartwarming 30-minute comedy you'll see. Ten episodes on Apple TV+, Plus, easily doable with a free trial that we're going to keep pushing here. Uh, Queen's Gambit, back in the prestige soap, luscious, indulgent, limited series Netflix world again uh and then keeping the theme on comfort and extremely long seasons we've got Grey's Anatomy on Netflix and The Office on Netflix both of which will if you start them over Thanksgiving they will carry you well into the month of December and maybe even to you know the next round of holidays Uh, and on that note that's our episode uh we will talk to you next week with more recommendations for what to watch Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.